Hey, podcast community, it's Eric, and I've got something exciting for all you online entrepreneurs out there. If you're looking to take your e-commerce store to the next level, you need to check out Aurora Repricer. With Aura, you can effortlessly reprice your Amazon inventory automatically. Ready to elevate your Amazon business? Head over to foxcitiesmm.com slash Aura. That's A-U-R-A to get started today. You're listening to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem, your bi-weekly dose of true crime history in a small rural community of Wisconsin. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. And Gavin, I, you got, looks like, good solid two pages of notes I there got, today. I got two so, pages of notes. Yes. So what are we talking about today? <clears throat> All right, so... This is going to be one of those, uh, you know, sometimes I try to sneak some history into them. I think I did that more in the early episodes. But yeah, I like those, though. So. Yeah, so there's going to be some more to that today. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Indian schools, schools for Indians, and we're going to talk a little Native bit... Native Americans. Na- Native Americans, <laughs> yep. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Outagamie County Asylum today. Oh, wow. So we're just covering the whole gamut of it. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to hear about how, and I'm going to, I'm going to say Indians because that's what, that's what, what it's called. Yeah, I, I, yeah. But if you want to learn about that or you want to learn about the asylum and you don't mind a little bit of a, of death mixed in, I think, uh, I think today we got a good story. Awesome. Well, take her away. Let's hear this. All right. So we're going to talk about a guy named Cleveland Schuyler. And I like this guy already because <laughs> he's named after the best city in this country. So love this guy. Yes, just so we'll we'll just preface this because for whatever reason, Gavin is the biggest Cleveland Browns fan ever to live. He hates football. Yeah, and but but he just loves the Cleveland Browns. Does it extend past the Cleveland Browns? I or like is, the city as well. Yeah, well. Okay, but you don't. It's not like all professional Cleveland teams. Are, no. Okay. It's no. Just... No. Sorry, Cavaliers. <laughs> I know. You, I know you were good for a while, and I know. And and I mean, ironically, Cleveland Indians. But they're not the Cleveland Indians. I know Indians. they're not. I don't I know, know what they are not. now, but... <laughs> but when they were, I mean, World Series team there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <So>. Anyway. <laughs> so Cleveland uh, Schuyler, he's born in 1893 on the Oneida Reservation. And for people who don't know, the Oneida Reservation is right outside of Green Bay. At age six or seven, somewhere thereabouts, he enters the boarding school on the Oneida Reservation. Uh, he spent four years there. I don't know what the boarding school on the reservation was like, but this was a school run by the government um, trying to teach the, the native kids, you know, let's stop you from being native kids and actually <laughs> teach you American things. So when you say that it was run by the government, you the mean... The federal government. The federal government. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because I assume reservations have their own government. Maybe. Correct. I okay. Yes. That's, so. Thank you. That's a good clarification. Yes. The federal government. In May 1902, Cleveland is only a toddler, but his mother was at her sister's house in De Pere, hiding out from her husband, Thomas, Cleveland's father. But he found her, and he told her to come home. She refused. Not long after, he returned and had a revolver in each hand. He fired at his brother and sister-in-law, but both guns failed. This gave the brother-in-law the opportunity to lunge at Thomas and knock him down. Thomas was now able to get off two shots. 
hitting his brother-in-law in the hand and the side. But then Elsie, the mother, retrieved a musket from another room and shot her husband in the back. He died of his wounds the next day. The brother-in-law recovered. So this is not our story, but just just showing that early on in this, this kid's life, his mother kills her abusive husband. Yeah. So you, that's fun. This one just kind of jumped right into it, huh? Not 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 a little any sort of like like build up or anything. It's like we're just going to start killing people. Yeah, well, but get-go. we're not we're not talking this is not a story <laughs> sure. about Thomas, a story about the son. So this is the where the son's growing up. The court commissioner in Green Bay decides that the killing is justified and no charges are pressed. Now, Cleveland is at the boarding school on the United Reservation. He grows out of that and at that point, you have the option to go to the boarding school in Pennsylvania, which was called the Carlisle Indian School. So they ship him there at age 11. And now this school took in people from all over the country. I mean, dozens of tribes are sending their kids here. Some of them because they want to go. Some of them because the federal government is strongly suggesting you should send your kids here. So... This school is the idea of military officer Richard Henry Pratt. And he said, quote, If all men are created equal, then why were blacks segregated in separate regiments and Indians segregated on separate tribal reservations? Why weren't all men given equal opportunities and allowed to assume their rightful place in society? Give me 300 young Indians and a place in one of our best communities and let me prove it. The government agreed. And they gave him an, an abandoned barracks in Pennsylvania that he converted into housing for for students. Okay, pause just one second. Yes, because I'm getting, getting you probably don't know this, but so far, what I'm hearing about these schools, mm-hmm. they sound like they were intended to be a great idea, but they also just totally sound like something that the government set up as like like indoctrination camps to like get Indians or Native Americans to yeah give a give up their culture and accept the white man's culture. Yeah. Do you know anything about these camps enough to know, or these schools to know if that's the case? Yeah, dude, you're jumping ahead. Oh, like <laughs> we're coming to that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, no, you're exactly right. Okay. And, uh, and I mean, what this guy is saying is I, I lo- want to believe that he has good intentions. Right. Because it sounds like what he's saying is that um, the black community, the native community, and so on, they live in, in crappy neighborhoods. They they aren't getting good opportunities. And he thinks, you know, if we give them the same education stuff as the white kids, they'll do fine. And I think that's a nice thought. But yeah, it's kind of what you're saying is part of that is you're trying to turn them into white kids. Yeah, well, right. Exactly. It's It's... It's a good idea, but when your solution to it is to like, well, if we just turn the the Native American kids into yeah. into white kids, yeah. well, that's not that's not a solution. They're not they're not white kids, you know, and that's not what they should be trying to do. Yeah. So, so when students arrived, if they had only native names like Standing Bear or Running Cloud, they were given Western names. They were they were shown a wall of of American names and they could pick their name off of the wall. If they could not speak English, other students had to translate for them because the teachers did not speak the native languages. One student later wrote, 
Quote, The civilizing process at Carlisle began with clothes. Whites believed the Indian children could not be civilized while wearing moccasins and blankets. Their hair was cut because in some mysterious way, long hair stood in the path of our development. They were issued the clothes of white men, high-collar, stiff-bosomed shirts and suspenders, fully three inches in width, were uncomfortable. White leather boots caused actual suffering. And the red flannel underwear was torture. So yeah, they're bringing them in, they're cutting their hair, changing their names. And... They're, they're essentially sucking any of their culture out of them, or yeah. attempting to, at least. Yes. Uh, while there, they were not allowed to send or receive letters to their families, and they stayed there for a five-year period. So Wow. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Now, I don't know if Cleveland was forced to go or if he was sent willingly. In this particular case, I think it might have been more willingly because the Oneida are more... Uh, westernized, more Americanized than a lot of other tribes were at this time. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we don't need to go into the whole history here. But like the Oneida originally were from New York. And then they got moved to Wisconsin. And so when they moved to Wisconsin, the other tribes in the area, like the Menominee and the Ho-Chunk, they were still very traditional. But the Oneida had already like taken on some of like the religious beliefs of like the New Yorkers and stuff. So the, the Oneida were already still very, well, not still, they were very American already. So uh, my guess is that he wasn't so much forced because they didn't have to beat this out of him. They also had a summer outing program where during the summer when school wasn't in session, they were sent to people's houses uh, around the state. The women were or girls were sent to work as domestic servants and boys were sent to work on farms or in factories. So so am I reading listening to that right they're essentially enslaving them during the summer. No, well, they, <laughs> I mean, they get paid. Oh, is I thought an indentured servant was essentially No, a no, slave. no, a, do, a domestic servant. Oh, a domestic like, servant. Like a maid. Okay, okay. <laughs> Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a very successful program and by 1909, uh so around the time that he's there they expand out where they have deals with factories, including the Ford Motor Company. So the Ford Motor Company was getting summer help from the from the natives. But that's not where Cleveland went. Cleveland always was sent out to farms. He left Carlisle in 1909 after his scheduled five years was up, and he returned home. When he returned home, he found out that while he was gone, his mother got remarried and had more children. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't know that because he wasn't allowed well, to get letters. Although his mandatory time was up, he actually re-enrolled. He said he wanted to go back. So when he was 16 years old, he ended up going back again. He wrote a letter praising the school saying, please let me back in. I like your school very much. And so in case people are curious, like how I know this, the Carlisle school records are all online. Really? Yeah. So like you can see like how he was assessed with his grades and, and things like that. And... The, like, there's not much for letters, but there's a couple letters in there. And I, I don't know how good the school was, but, like, this kid, his penmanship is perfect. His spelling is perfect. I mean, so, like, at least as far as his writing goes, they, they did good there. And I would imagine, I, maybe I'm off base on this, but I would imagine, okay, so you go to the school for five years, and eventually, essentially, they, I mean, based on what you've said, they've tried to turn these people from whatever culture they are into white people. 
basically. So, so I'm assuming after... I don't f- think they would have said it that way, but that's what But, I mean, essentially, yeah. that's what it sounds like they're doing. And I would imagine after five years, you go back home. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Like you said, the Oneidians, they were... They already had a lot of American culture in them. Yeah. But still, when they probably got this kid back, the kid was probably almost a mutant to them because <laughs> he was so different. Yeah. And then I feel like he was probably so acted so much like kind of like a white person that even the white people in like Green Bay thought he was weird because they weren't used to seeing a native <laughs> act like that. Yeah. So he probably wanted to go back to the school because he was surrounded by people that didn't like understand him at all. Yeah, I mean, that could be. You know. And and I should I should clarify here like so this is the early 1900s this is 1909 1913 around here. And it's really weird when you read the old newspapers, which I do a lot and like to us today, people on a reservation are people, you know, they have names, they have jobs, they have families. But like in the old newspaper, a lot of times it would just say two Oneida Indians <laughs> or two, you know, it would, they very rarely had names in mm. the newspaper. It really treated them as not being full people, which is so weird to me. Mm-hmm. Like, cause like, they were always like like people were white people were intermarrying with with the natives like forever so it's not like we thought they were like this weird foreign thing but that's the way they were talked about like oh yeah you're whatever you're different and so yeah even just as recently as 100 years ago like it would have been a huge culture shock to like be white on the reservation right exactly and and you can't leave the reservation either because that's a whole another culture shock for the people that are off the reservation. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially the only place that this kid probably felt like he belonged was in school, yeah. right? Yeah. So. I mean, yeah. And, and now today, I mean, the reservations are, I mean, you don't even know when you're on the United Reservation half the time. Cause mm-hmm. It just looks like anything else. But, yeah. But all right. So he goes back. Uh, and this time he stays until he's 20 years old. And even though he's 20 and an adult, he tries to re-enroll again. <laughs> um, they turn him down. The superintendent of the school says, there seemed to be unmistakable evidence before he left this school the last time that he was becoming mentally unbalanced. They said he was a manly boy, which is good, but they didn't take people with health problems, with mental health problems, his record showed he was a good student, orderly, obedient, and liked by all who knew him. So they didn't take him back because he was mentally unbalanced. He's he's back out in the world for a couple years. I don't know what he did those couple years. But within a couple years, he's committed to the Outagamie County Asylum in Appleton. And he would stay there for the next 15 years. So he's, he's there a while. And, I mean, do you think his... His mental unbalancedness was caused by this weird education that he was put through? You know, maybe. I don't know. Because I just imagine, like, what an identity crisis. You have no identity because you're like this weird blend between two different, very distinct people, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... I I don't know. I, I don't know enough, but it's like, one, as we saw in the beginning... His his family life was not great. Right. 
early on. Um, second of all, I mean, what causes people to have mental breakdowns? I, it could be any number of random things. I mean, it could have been something he was born with. Right. Um, as as you say, yeah, the culture shock, not having an identity, definitely not <laughs> not helpful. Exactly. Um, and then just in general, like reservation life is today. I don't think it's as bad, but traditionally, it's not great. Like job opportunities, not good. Mm-hmm. And you know, poverty everywhere. Poverty then leads to to drinking and drug problems, and you know, and I don't want to go down that path because it's a sad path. But I mean, it's just. I'd, I'm not shocked if people have mental breakdowns living on the reservation. So who knows what specifically it could have been? Because, yeah, just not an enjoyable childhood for this guy. Did you look? I'm just curious. How long? Do you know how long this these schools existed for? I don't remember. Uh, so this the school started in... I actually don't have that, but I think it's like the 1890s. And I don't remember how long they lasted, but it... It was a couple of decades for sure, and then it, they turned them back into military barracks again. So. God, that's that is crazy, and, and you, you, I just wonder how many of these stories exist like this. Yeah, well, this one was completely the part that that made me pick this. We didn't even get to yet. So okay, so um, this is all stuff that just came up in looking into it. But yeah, at Carlisle, I mean, thousands of kids from tribes across the country and. Yeah, I, I'm sure that there are a lot of stories where, you know, there's people who have written like memoirs about growing up there, and basically a lot of it's the, you know, they took away my identity. That's a big part of it. But yeah, I don't know how many people like did not adjust well. I wouldn't be surprised if that was a common thing. Oh, at yeah, all. I would imagine not because I, that's got to like throw. Yeah. Just, I can't even imagine having that mindset of just being, yeah. Yeah. It's weird. So. All right. So he's in the he's in the asylum. While he's in the asylum, um, his stepfather passes away relatively young, age fifty, and his sister Maggie also gets sent to the Outagami Asylum. <laughs> I don't know why she passes away in 1927 at age 30 in the asylum, um, and she is buried in the asylum cemetery. Uh, so his sister is actually still in the asylum. <laughs> well, not in it. I mean, it's, the cemetery is outdoors, There's but fun. she's still on the grounds. <laughs> yeah. Now, the the asylum was not necessarily the greatest place either. Just before Cleveland arrived, a lawsuit was brought against the asylum superintendent. It was filed on behalf of one of the patients by his legal guardian. The lawsuit was seeking $10,000 in damages because the superintendent approved, quote, an illegal operation, which was revealed to be the castration of the patient and several other patients. Wow. So this story just does not end, huh? Yeah. So, yeah, so apparently for a while there, when people would go to the asylum, uh, and at least when men would go to the asylum, Sometimes they would get castrated without permission. So that's that's fun. The lawsuit also sought the identities of any co-defendants who were performing the operations. Uh, at the hearing, the superintendent invoked his Fifth Amendment rights, so he didn't say anything. 
But after, uh, you know, working us through the courts, eventually the doctor who performed the castration was identified and was revealed to be Dr. James Canavan. And Dr. James Canavan is notable because by the time this lawsuit reached its way to the courts and his name was revealed, he was the mayor of Appleton. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Not something you want to have happen to you, huh? No. (laughs) Within a few months, he dies. Oh, well... So he never never gets in any legal trouble for this. Not not of any sort of mysterious causes or anything. Not according to the papers. He just, just dies. He just dies. Okay. Yep. So. Yeah. So. So yeah. It's like, hey, you castrated my family member. I'm going to sue you. Oh, you castrated a whole bunch of guys. Oh, they were castrated by the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> so so Cleveland Cleveland did not get castrated, but he is in here. And although he is never released from the asylum, apparently uh, he gets along well with the guards and he's eventually granted trustee status, which means he has a little more freedom than other people. He can roam the grounds a little bit more. Well, roaming the grounds has a problem because in February 1933, he escapes from the asylum. Nice. Although the asylum is in Appleton, somehow he makes it all the way down to Kenosha. And about four days after he escapes, he's walking along Highway 41 when he's hit by a truck. The coroner placed no blame on the truck driver because Cleveland was walking in the middle of the road during a snowstorm and nobody could possibly have seen him. Asylum officials said they would try to find living family to take his body or else they would put him in the grounds on the cemetery near his sister. Um, He's not listed as being in the asylum cemetery, so I assume somebody must have taken him. The asylum grounds grew over the years. At its peak, the asylum was on 504 acres of land. Which, this is a good segue for one of my questions, and we may have covered this in a previous episode. But where was the Appleton Asylum? I don't think we did, because we haven't talked about the Appleton Asylum. I thought we did. In we talked about episode. the Oshkosh Asylum. Yeah, I know we talked about the Oshkosh, but I thought the Appleton one came up at Maybe. some point in time. I don't remember then. So. But, so, the cemetery is on the Fox Valley Technical College grounds. Okay. So, the asylum was in that general area, kind of like whatever, like Brewster Village is now. So, like, somewhere on the tech grounds, is there literally, like, can you go see gravestones of people? They don't have stones. There is a cemetery, and there's a sign telling you who's there. But they don't have stones. Huh. Homework assignment. I want to go find this. Yeah, it's, for those familiar with the tech, it's, like, back where, like, the semi-truck test driving driving is. is. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And there is there like just a trail you can walk. Yeah, to there's it? A, there's a trail. It's a little public park with benches and stuff. Yeah, interesting. Wow, that is a crazy story. And I also want you to know that I feel like there needs to be another episode that just covers these Indian schools because yeah. that is just mind blowing to me. And I think that that's just like a could be a huge eye opener thing for people to hear. Is like, oh yeah, what what is with these schools? Well, that's why I wanted to, to do that because, like, it's in Pennsylvania, so it does not belong in Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. But 
because this uh, this local kid went there, I was like, this is a good opportunity to kind of talk about what was going on and happened to a lot of these kids. Well, I'm going to put it out there that I want to see this episode made that covers these schools. So yeah. any listener out there that does not want to hear that episode <laughs> can email us at milwaukeemafia at gmail.com. And if somebody does respond and says, you absolutely cannot do that episode on this podcast... We won't do it. But if we don't hear from anybody, we might just do that episode at some point. <laughs> we're going to do one on a school in Pennsylvania. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, because of course, that's, <laughs> that's what you talk about on the Fox Cities podcast. So maybe we should just drop the Fox Cities and just call it Murder and Mayhem. No, no, no. <laughs> but, but if we did do that, I could make a point of trying to find out you know, how many Wisconsin kids went there. Because like I yeah. said, the school's records are all online, so... Um, it wouldn't probably be that difficult to find out how many Oneida, Menominee, etc. went there. Yeah, and I would just, I think that that is not a story that is being told anywhere. Mm-hmm. And and I think it should be told because I think, I mean. Yeah, yeah. I know that's, of, of everything in this episode, that it was the most eye-opening thing to me. Yeah, that and that's, that, why, and that's why I went into like a bit of a detour there. Because like, I don't know exactly what happened to cleveland there like i said i don't think he had as bad of an adjustment as some other uh some other people because you know he already spoke english and everything but but yeah definitely a very weird place to go yeah and and just think about it because like you said he was already somewhat adjusted Mm -hmm. and can you imagine what one of these um well i mean i guess we'll use the menominee tribe as an example one of them that I mean, I would guess at this point in time, the Menominee tribes, none of them even spoke English. Oh, no. They, I mean, they did. They oh, did. did they? Yeah, 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 yeah. In, by the 1900s? Because wasn't this right around 19, early yeah. 1900s? They why, already, why would they not be speaking English? Because I, I don't know. I guess I would just assume they would still be speaking their native... I, I mean, both. They'd speak both. But, it, okay, so by that that point in time, it was very common for them to speak English as well. Yeah, I mean, oh, they'd, still, okay. they'd go and they'd go to Shano and stuff. I suppose. Talk to people. Maybe I have a wrong impression of what the 1900s was. It's not like that long ago. Yet. No, the, the, the tribes that really, like, weren't speaking English were, like, way out west. Which probably most, none of them went, went to any of these schools. No, they what? did. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah. So, so wow. I, I don't know. It's just... That's just my a mind blowing story to me. So, yeah, no, 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 dude. Menominee, or I mean, Menominee were very they they had deeper traditions than the United, in my opinion. But no, I mean, they had so much contact with people like white, yeah, with I white suppose. people that I, I suppose when you look at it from that perspective, they were all they were surrounded by them. So it's yeah. not like it was that foreign of a thing. Yeah. But I mean, what are you gonna do just like never leave town? I mean, come on. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> that, but on top of that, like, like you said, they're much more deep, deeper into their culture. Yeah, and it's got to be pretty. I mean, try to imagine having everything you know. Like, you have a culture. I have a culture. And yeah. if somebody took put us in a school and tried to beat that culture out of us, that would be a pretty traumatizing event. Yeah, for anybody. Yeah. So I'm gonna say I've been I've been trying not to do it, but I'm gonna do it. Uh, so I apologize. But like you were in the navy for a while, and uh, and I I don't think that's probably like as extreme. But but like the the marines maybe would be. 
Oh, I would. Or well, you think the Navy's pretty bad? Well, too. I mean, not the Navy, Navy, but but boot camp, yeah. Oh, boot definitely, camp, sure. yeah, definitely. I mean, they were they literally were trying to. I mean, okay, so by nature, I'm a very free thinker, or at yeah. least I view myself as a very free thinker. Maybe yeah. a lot of people would disagree with that, but but they literally try to beat that out of you in yeah. the ten whatever ten fourteen weeks that you're in boot camp. Yeah, and. So it, yeah, and and based on your personality was based on how big of a struggle it was for you. Like okay. I struggled a lot because I, okay. I'm not used to. Well, then I I apologize because I only ever hear the Navy stories where you're sitting around doing nothing and and playing <laughs> video games. But 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 the, apparently before that, yeah. <laughs> but boot boot camp is a very intense thing, and yeah, they're trying to yeah. They're I mean it is very very much. I guess I didn't make that connection, but when you pointed out, yeah, that's what they were did. They sent them to white kid boot camp yeah. <laughs> or something to try and turn yeah. them into white, you know. So, so it's just crazy. But I think we uh, we beat this one up enough. We can wind this one down. Okay. Do you have anything else? No, that's for it. it or... That's it. The only other thing, I mean, I have one final sentence, and that's that the asylum uh, closed in two thousand and one. So. Honestly, not that long ago. Yeah, actually, I'm shocked that it was that recent. Yeah. <laughs> was the tech already on the... The tech, the tech was there. So the the asylum peaked maybe like the 1950s. Um, and the reason they had the 500 acres was because they had a farm. And the farm was like run by the inmates. And so like, you know, so it was something to do. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they started selling off the land. And it ended up... Scaling down to, again, basically where Brewster Village is. Um, my assumption is like the tech was built on land they bought from. Well, I don't even know if they had to buy it. I don't know who owns the tech, but uh, I would assume that this city or who owns right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like the asylum was state, on, the asylum probably? was owned by the county, so maybe maybe they didn't even have to buy it. Maybe they were just like Here. yeah, they just kind of took it over. <laughs> right. So I don't know. I don't know the details of that one, but. But yeah, the actual asylum itself didn't finally close until 2000. I mean, the Oshkosh one's still there, but... The Brewster Village... So Brewster Village is like that complex where like... No, Brewster Village is, is like... It's like right next to the tech, right? And there's like it's, a it's bunch by, of... It's by, it's by the tech. And, um, you know, I guess I, I shouldn't say because I don't know. But my understanding is it's like... I wouldn't say the people there are insane, like for lack of a better word, but they might have like developmental issues okay so it's kind of still i mean it's it's probably not in, per se like a mental institute but it's it it's like a home for right people that need right. special needs i guess that's my understanding way. okay somebody can email and say i'm completely wrong but that's my understanding so in did you say the asylum turned in, kind of turned into brewster village more sort of they did i mean the the asylum itself is gone Right, but when they built Brewster Village, it kind of eliminated the need, need for, for the, the asylum, asylum because the anybody who really needed to be in an asylum, like the way we think of an asylum, um, you know, would go to Oshkosh or or Madison or something. In Most there. people didn't need to be in an asylum the way that we think of an asylum. Like most of the people that were in Appleton were not. I we're running way over time here, but like, <laughs> but like there there was an exhibit at the Outagamie County Museum for a while. And they had, like, records on display. They had them cleaned up so you couldn't see who they were and stuff. But they had some records on display. 
And like husbands would commit their wives to the asylum because they weren't doing housework. Like oh wow. I mean like you could you could get in there you get in there for for alcoholism. I mean so it's not like crazy people. Some of them were, of course, but but like a lot of the people that were in Outagamie County Asylum were not people that you would picture being sent there. Yeah. And at some point they probably just realized that most of these people shouldn't even be here right. anyway. So Right. They, but that's a, I mean that's a whole that's another. a changing way of how we view, you know, mental health and everything. That's a whole yeah. that's a whole other thing. <laughs> so, well, we will wind this episode up, but yeah. there was a whole lot of layers to this There's episode. A lot, of this, so, a lot of this here. So, and keep in keep keep your eye out because the the us uh, the Indian school episode is coming. I'm I'm making Gavin do this research sure, to find to find out. Fine. So, but not next time. Not next time, but it'll be an upcoming episode. So, we thank everybody for tuning in. We will be back in two weeks with another episode and. Thanks for the continued support. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. Join us in two weeks for another exciting episode of Murder and Mayhem. <laughs>